0: when the clock has started. Here we go. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. I'm Graham, your announcer, and this is episode 109. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. (laughs) Enjoy is a relatively broad term. Yes, this is 20 minutes. You'll never get back. My name is Doug Prezak. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in and uh, giving me 20 minutes of your very precious life. And I'm going to be up front with you right now. Okay. <laughs> right off the bat, this show will be longer than 20 minutes. I tried cutting it, but uh, it's just going to come in probably around 23, 24 minutes. So we'll see when it's all, uh, all said and done. So let's see, how is January working out for you? Just I'm just wondering. <laughs> Mine's been okay. You know, it's been a while since I've uh, said this, but uh, you can follow me on that uh, Instagram machine thing. All I post is a slight tease that an episode is going to post and then uh, when it posts. I, I don't post any pictures of what I ate at some restaurant. I don't post a picture of me standing in the middle of a fountain somewhere. It's just when an episode is coming up and when it's up. So if you want to follow me uh, in this little show, then... Uh, all you have to do is go to 20MYNGB. Uh, that's right. The number 20, 20, and then MYNGB, which, you know, means minutes you'll never get back. That's that's all there is to it. And uh, let's see. What else? So oh, I'm going to check the uh, country list. Yeah, da, da 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 India, Indonesia, Iran, Ireland, Israel, and Italy. Oh man, those are all the I countries that have downloaded the show, but no Iceland. (laughs) Listen, maybe I need to fly to Iceland, you know, then fly there, listen to the episode, and then fly home. (laughs) Let's take a look at that. Okay, uh, travelocity.com, LAX to Reykjavik. I don't know how to spell Reykjavik. Iceland, Iceland, and round trip, uh, economy, of course. And let's see, it is. (laughs) $1,253 $1,253 <laughs> with, with two stops. <laughs> you know, I'm good. Who needs Iceland anyway? And crap, I do. Let's uh, let's just move on with the show, shall we? Now, you may have seen this in the news a couple weeks ago. A woman was stopped at a TSA checkpoint as she was trying to smuggle her companion pet onto a plane. She was either heading to Florida or departing from Florida. I I don't know. Either way, Florida was involved. Not that it makes any difference, but most weird stories do come out of Florida. Anyway, the uh, TSA agent spotted something a little strange in her carry-on, and when they opened it up, it was her companion pet, a four-foot boa constrictor. (laughs) Clearly, that got me to thinking, and if you're a regular listener to the show, you know how much I just love snakes. Uh, I guess snakes can be pets. I don't think you can put one on a leash and take them out for a walk. Maybe a slither, but, but then my thoughts spread to pets as a whole. According to a pet industry statistics, Americans alone, and I don't have any stats in other countries, but I'm sure they are proportionately the same, we own an estimated 90 million dogs, 94 million cats, 2 million birds. 14 million small mammals, and 9.5 million aforementioned reptiles. But did you ever wonder just uh, how and when this whole pet ownership thing started? You know, uh, Did you say to yourself, man, I just don't have the time to do the research? Well, you can relax because I did and you know what I did, so you don't have to. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay, to uh, start this discussion, we have to agree that Pet keeping can be best described as a symbiotic relationship, right? It's a relationship that benefits both the animal and human beings. Now, as you can figure people have had pets since prehistoric times all the way up to the present. Pets are found in nearly every culture and society. Therefore, we can assume that having a pet apparently satisfies a deep and, dare I say, universal human need. Throughout history animals you know have they played a key role in, in our human life. Early people depended on animals for food and clothing and transportation. The history of pets is fairly intertwined with the process of animal domestication. Now Gregor Larson with the University of Oxford, you probably know him. He suggested that <laughs> I don't maybe you do. He suggested that animals were domesticated twice once in Europe about 16,000 years ago, and then again in Asia around 14,000 years ago. A separate Belgian study in 2008 reported finding a 32,000-year-old canine-like skull found in a cave in Belgium. The first animal to make the transition from the wild to the domesticated state was the wolf, you know, the common ancestor of modern-day dogs. Uh, This occurred at least 12,000 to 14,000 years ago when people discovered that a young wolf cub that remained subordinate to humans as adults, they could be trained. Eventually, a working relationship developed between the wolves and later wild dogs and their human captors. They were kept because they could perform tasks such as hunting, guarding, and herding. Although the domesticated dogs were probably treated with respect in primitive societies, there is evidence that at least some were also considered companions as early as 12,000 years ago. A discovery was made in a Paleolithic tomb in northern Israel where a human was buried with a dog or a wolf puppy. The dead person's hand had been arranged so that it rested on the animal's shoulder, as if to emphasize a deep bond of affection during life. In ancient Greece, dogs were kept as co-therapists in healing temples for their perceived ability to cure illness, sort of a uh, precursor, if you will, of our modern uh, practice of using therapy dogs to help people with a wide range of conditions. Working dogs had a value in early homes, but about this time, the cat also became loosely associated with humans, houses, barns, and grain stores all provided a new environmental playground that was rapidly inundated by mice and other small mammals. Wildcats followed these rodents uh, into the human settlements, and they became tolerated, if actually not encouraged, because of their usefulness in getting rid of these troublesome pests. Well, pedigree.com, and you know, they must know their stuff because they're (laughs) pedigree.com. They say that from... The 13th to the 15th centuries in medieval Europe, pet keeping was popular among the aristocracy, lap I'm just glad I got the word aristocracy out, okay? Lap dogs were fashionable among the noble ladies, whereas the male nobility were more inclined to lavish their attention on more, quote, useful animals such as hunting hounds and falcons. Now, hunting was of great importance as a symbol of power and status. Dog breeds spread throughout Europe, as different types of hounds were developed for chasing and flushing out, well, you know, uh, things for people to shoot at. However, the Christian church, well, they frowned on pet keeping. Church leaders suggested that the food used for these animals should be given to the poor. However, it's more likely that the church was probably more afraid that close associations with animals were strongly linked to pagan worship. The prejudice against pets reached its height during the Inquisition where evidence against heretics often included references to close associations with animals. Throughout the barbaric witch trials of the 16th and 17th centuries, a large number of innocent people were accused of witchcraft and condemned to death. Possession of an animal familiar was considered to be a symbol of Satan and was used as evidence of their guilt. As interest in uh, witchcraft declined, (laughs) companion animals returned to favor and even came to symbolize good fortune. The most likely reason for the negative attitudes towards companion animals throughout history is that affectionate relationships towards animals were considered immoral and against the nature order of life. Until relatively recently, there was a commonly held view in the Western world that animals lacked feelings and were created in order to serve humanity. Oh my God. I know. Pet keeping wasn't generally accepted in Europe until the end of the 17th century, and it wasn't really common among the middle classes until the late 18th century. Pet keeping as we know it today is probably a 19th century Victorian invention. Now at that time, it was perceived as a connection with the natural world, which itself was no longer seen as threatening. Britain has been a center for dog breeding since Roman times, and one of the first formal competitive dog shows was held in Newcastle in 1859 for pointer and setter breeds. Mm, Newcastle. <laughs> Now, little was known about the inheritance of various characteristics in breeding until Charles Darwin published The Origin of the Species in 1859. Thanks to Chuck, dog breeding has become more formalized with the establishment of strict breed standards. Now, the practice of pet keeping in Victorian times also reflected other social attitudes of the time. Pet keeping was not considered appropriate for the lower classes as it was thought to encourage the neglect of other social duties. (laughs) Again, I know. Well, on that uh, sour note, (laughs) let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to have more on pets. And, of course, another list, this time on pets. Not the top pets because we all know who's on top. here. dogs. (laughs) No, this is a list of unusual pets by some historical figures. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go away, I will be right back. Get your dog in top condition, get your pet complete nutrition, feed them sturdy, make them sturdy, happy, friendly, pecky, furry any dog can be a winner if he eats some sturdy dinner, feed them sturdy, beefy sturdy, bed with bacon, insist on sturdy, Ask any dog who's tasted it. it's the doggy with a bit, You sturdy dinner, the food is delicious, get sturdy. And if I may uh, refresh your memory, get sturdy. (laughs) Sturdy dog food. (laughs) All right, let's get back to uh, pets, shall we? Now, the trend increased for the popularity of dog ownership. Why is this all about dogs? Rare dog breeds were often used as indicators of status. Folks began training dogs to assist the blind and the deaf. And psychologists began studying the emotional welfare of pet ownership. Hey, the ancient Greeks did that like a billion years ago. God. Well, by the late 19th century, however, the Industrial Revolution rapidly urbanized new spaces and the middle classes began to bring animals into their homes in greater numbers. The First Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, or the SPCA, that was organized in England in 1824, primarily to prevent the abuse of carriage horses in the days before automobiles. The SPCA helped pass laws that regulated the carriage horse business. With this success, the society expanded to include dogs and other animals in its fight against cruelty. In the 1850s, there was, you know, a lot of good happening, but there was also a lot of bad. New York City officials feared rabies and dog attacks, and they paid a 50-cent bounty for those willing to collect strays and bring them in for euthanasia. A, quote, temporary home for lost and starving dogs, end quote, that opened up in Holloway in 1860, and that marked the beginning of animal shelters. The first American SPCA was started in 1866 in New York City and was established to combat the War Against Pet Ownership, eventually taking over the city animal control and opening the first pet shelter in the United States. Well, after that, pet popularity and pet ownership began to take hold, and soon so did the pet accessory industry. In 1941, Lord and Taylor's Christmas catalog actually highlighted a full-page advertisement for a cat scratching post and a cat bed. By 1947, clay cat litter was being sold as opposed to sand and dirt, and cat ownership became easier and more prominent for city dwellers. Today, the pet industry is a $70 billion business with predictions of continued increases in the next 10 years. I know this from firsthand. Last week, I was in one of those uh, big, gigantic warehouse stores. I, I don't want to say name, but it rhymes with Bostco. Anyway, uh, there was a th- cat scratching thing. So I plunked down my $30 and brought it home so I could save my furniture, put it down in front of the cats, and they looked at me like, you know, what the hell are we supposed to do with this thing? And they ignored it. (laughs) So as we have learned, animal companionship is nothing new to humankind. Throughout history, uh, people have sought out, you know, furry or feathered or scaly friends to spend their days with. However, it wasn't always about just being cats or dogs. Famous pets throughout history have ranged from the ordinary to, well, let's just say the unusual. Here are six famous pets and their owners from history. And as I like to do with my list, I'm going to add some music. U.S. founding father Thomas Jefferson. He had actually one of the most ferocious pets on this list. He had two grizzly bear cubs as pets. That's right, grizzly bear cubs. Captain Zebulon Pike had gifted them to the U.S. President in 1807 after purchasing them in the southern part of the Continental Divide. Now, while the Cubs were supposedly gentle at first, they quickly began to outgrow any enclosures Jefferson put them in. They could frequently be seen wandering around the President's lawn, which gave him a a fairly poor reputation among his political opponents. Once Jefferson could no longer handle the two Grizzlies, He donated them to his friend Charles Wilson Peel, an artist and museum owner in Philadelphia. Peel took them in with pride at first, but the bears eventually destroyed their enclosure and tried to attack Peel's family. That resulted in, well, let's just say the bears are no longer with us. (laughs) Josephine Bonaparte. Although Josephine is often overshadowed by her husband Napoleon, Well, Josephine was known for several of her unique and famous pets that often ruled their home. While she is typically famous for her pet orangutan, she also had a pug named Fortune. Now, while most pugs are docile, Fortune was incredibly protective over Josephine. Some records even state that Napoleon once shared his dislike for the dog with a friend, claiming that Fortune stayed in their bed on the night of their wedding. Josephine told him that he could find another place to sleep if he wished, but that Fortune would be staying in their bed. Napoleon <laughs> Napoleon also stated that Fortune would frequently attack him by biting him while Napoleon was having relations with Josephine, <laughs> but Josephine refused to budge on her stance regarding the pup. <laughs> Poor Napoleon. <laughs> Tycho Brahe was an uh, ancient astronomer from the 16th century, and he had one of the most interesting pets on this list. Brahe was the proud owner of a tame moose, which he often treated like a dog. Now, the story goes that the moose would follow him around as a faithful companion, amazing those who got to meet the large creature. However, there was something even more unique about Brahe's moose the moose loved to drink. <laughs> Who doesn't? Anyway, Brahe would host parties at which his moose was the main form of entertainment, drinking beer in large gulps until it became fully drunk. (laughs) Where is the SPCA when you need it? His guests would laugh as it stumbled around, running into furniture within the castle. Unfortunately, the entertainment was taken too far when the moose died after climbing the castle stairs and falling down them in a drunken stupor. (laughs) Sad. The Marquis de Lafayette, (laughs) the Marquis de Lafayette was from France, but he was known in the United States as plain old Lafayette. He was a French aristocrat, a Freemason, and a military officer who fought in the American Revolutionary War. Oh, and Lafayette kept an alligator as a pet. (laughs) But once again, what would this podcast be without differing opinions? The uh, Lafayette and the Alligator story, and <laughs> I don't know if that would be a good children's book or not. Anyway, the Lafayette and the Alligator story has led to some confusion. Some individuals believe the gator belonged to President John Quincy Adams. However, it's not entirely clear if the alligator was fully gifted to him or if it just simply stayed at the Adams residence while the Marquis was visiting. While there have been uh, many myths about the alligator, early records simply state that the gator was placed in the east wing of the White House. But odds are, it stayed there for a while before the Marquis departed. (laughs) Oh, you know, an alligator in the White House. There is a joke somewhere. Number five on my list is Salvador Dali. Uh, You know who he was. He was a painter, you know, the whole melting clocks paintings. You know, he was famous for painting with, let's just say, a, a different brush. But did you know one of the more interesting parts about Dolly's life was his pet ocelot, Babu. Yes, that was the ocelot's name. Now, you probably already know this, but if you aren't familiar, ocelots are wild cats that are native to Central and South America. Now, while they bear some resemblance to domesticated cats, their fur pattern is more like that of a leopard. According to the story, the Colombian head of state gifted the ocelot to Dolly in the 1960s, and Babu hardly left Dolly's side after that. He would frequently take Babu uh, with him when he would go out on walks or dine in public restaurants and even attend special events. <laughs> Dolly and his ocelot, Babu. And the uh, last one on my list here, Andrew Jackson. You know, seventh president of the United States. He had an African gray parrot for over 17 years. The parrot named Paul. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't give him a why? <laughs> a parrot named Paul? Something's missing there. <laughs> anyway, the parrot was named Paul. <laughs> it originally belonged to Jackson's wife, Rachel Jackson. Now, after she passed away in 1828, Jackson became the bird's sole caretaker for 17 years until his death. <laughs> Jackson's, not the bird's. Although Jackson was supposedly uh, soft-spoken in his older years many who attended his funeral were shocked to discover quite the opposite. Paul, not Polly, but but Paul, had been brought to the funeral and began squawking and cussing nonstop in the voice of his deceased owner. Eventually, the cursing became so incessant that Paul was removed from the service out of respect for the morning guests. There's no word on what, what happened to Paul. Well, there you have it, historical figures and their pets. But Lastly, only a pet can have its drawbacks. (laughs) This literally came in as I was finishing up the show. A couple from Stockton, and that's in Northern California, they learned the hard way that if you're going to test out dog crates, only one person needs to do the testing. A home security video shows a man climbing into a large dog crate, presumably to test it out. Now, it seems that they actually had two of these large dog crates. Well, I th- I think you can see where this is going. His partner then decides to get into the crate next to him and she closes the door behind her. After a few seconds, the couple realizes they're both locked in the crates. <laughs> they were eventually able to free themselves by maneuvering the crates in front of one another. They literally shook the crates until they were lined up. Then they could reach through and open up one of the doors. The couple said that uh, had they not been able to free themselves, they would have asked Alexa to call their neighbors to come free them. <laughs> That's kind of, that really has to be an embarrassing phone call, doesn't it? <laughs> and with that, we have come to the end of episode one oh nine. But first, did we learn anything today? Uh, I fear not. But let's see. Well, we did learn that back in the fifteenth century, the Christian Church didn't like people keeping pets. <laughs> We learned that an alligator and grizzly bears once called the White House home. (laughs) And we learned that if you try to take a boa constrictor on board an airplane, the TSA people are going to have a word with you. (laughs) See, I told you the show is just about 23 minutes long. That's it for this episode. As always, thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, uh, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So that's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.